On today's podcast, we have Lori Myers Hare. She is the owner and director of Who Gives a Scrap Colorado. It is a creative reuse community center, and she created it to have a purposeful life after overcoming grief and trauma. Join us today with Lori Myers Hare. I'm so glad that you're on here. Who gives a scrap? I know. Who gives a scrap? Not me. I don't. Do you? I do. I do every day. <laughs> I know. Are you at the, you're at the office right now at the I store. Am. I am sitting in my office. I put a big sign that says, do not knock. <laughs> Cause they'll still knock to come in. They'll just be quiet. So I just put a sign and everybody knows that I'm, I'm doing something. So they're all very mindful. I'm going to take this vest off though. Cause it's noisy. I'm just so grateful that you're on with me. I've been wanting to talk to you about, you know, who gives a scrap, but I didn't want you to come on when I was fresh off the boat. Oh. You know, I wanted to get my feet wet and have you on to real, cause you've, you've been on the news. You've been in the yes. newspaper. You've everybody in Colorado knows who you are. Oh, you're so sweet. No, I think we're more of a local Colorado Springs thing. Although we're getting a lot of people, we get people from out of state. This, this is like a highlight now. So are we, are we live? Am I, am I just one of that age group that I don't even know that this is part of the podcast? <laughs> We're not live. It's pre-recorded, so I'll edit, but um, no, you can just go ahead and, and talk normal. And if there's oh, anything okay. that I don't, that we don't feel is right, then we can slice it out if we want to. Um, but yeah, so who gives a scrap is a creative reuse recycle material store. Is that right? Right. We're a creative reuse center. And so what we are is we, we call ourselves the gap between the trash can and the big thrift stores. And it kind of started with, well, it started with going to a family wedding in Texas. And my darling niece, who happens to be you, took me <laughs> thrifting because that was your, your gig at the time. You were thrifting um, high-end baby clothes, which I thought was brilliant. And cleaning up and reselling them and all that kind of stuff. And we stopped in one in this one place then you said I we just have to stop here I just always have to stop here and I'm like all right I don't care I'm up for the ride <laughs> and and we walked in and I don't recall the name of it it became eventually a scrap USA and since then it has closed and reconfigured a couple of different names but it's still around and that was 2015 and it was in um it was in May it was right after your sister's wedding. And we walked in and I looked at the store and I thought, I said, what is this? And you said, it's a creative reuse center. Don't y'all have one of those? And, I said, <laughs> and I'd never heard of one before. And so I walked around and I think I took a couple of pictures. In fact, I did. I took a couple of pictures of things that were just really super cool and creative, like their yarn wall and how they did their jewelry. It was just stuff you never think about. And it looked like a Michael's department uh, michael's craft store and a hardware store on steroids it was just kind of this crazy kooky wonderful space and there was a classroom in it that was really messy but messy like kids have been in there kind of messy and i kind of noodled around a little bit and then we left and i headed out the next morning and it was um i was driving back to colorado and my friend jane and i wanted to do something that was a nonprofit that gave back to the community that gave us purpose you know it was be a purposeful person is what it was and it was 4 30 in the morning it was pouring down rain when i left and 
got through, I don't know, the countryside, jumped on the interstate, and it was probably at that point, maybe eight o'clock in the morning, called Jane on my speakerphone and said, write this down. And she's so good. She just, I didn't even say hi. I just said, write this down. And, she, and I said, creative reuse center. I said, take a look at that. I think this might be something we can do. And call me back in 10 minutes. Typical Jane, hour and a half later, she's done research. And she calls back and said, this is it. I think this is, this is our deal. And she said, I don't know crafts, but I know art. And I said, well, I know I'm a, I was a former school secretary, so I know how to organize and I can do budgets. And we each had this little different components to bring to the table. Some things we didn't have, some skill sets we didn't have, and we've learned as we've gone along. But that's kind of how it came to be. And we reached out to some people in the community that we really respected. Um, one being my my now, as of a year ago, husband. He owned yeah. Oh, he owns mm. a, He had owned a very successful retail store here in town. And so he knew retail. And, and I knew um, the books from the accounts payable end, of accounts receivable end, but not payable, which is the other half of bookkeeping. I just didn't know the, the nuts and bolts of it, but I knew enough to probably be dangerous at the time. And there was another gentleman in town, Michael Hannigan, who had um, created this amazing nonprofit here in town and was, we didn't know at the time, was getting close to retirement age um, or getting close to being retired. And then um, he was on our advisory board and we brought in another gal, Mundy Ross, who super, super creative and just can make things happen, just knows a lot of people. And so we brought her in and then we brought in um, Holly Trinidad and Chris Myers with Hoff and Lee because we knew we needed locations. And everybody sat at the table and said, and we said, this is what we want to do. And everybody gave us their advice. And Mike Hannigan Michael Hannigan gave us probably the best piece of advice, advice, which was after we filled out a 29 page nonprofit sheet and had our check for almost a thousand dollars to write to, to apply to be a nonprofit, they issue you a number, but for two years you operate not knowing if you're legit and giving out tax receipts. He sat us at the table and he said, and we, there were other things in the works that we did not know that were going on with his nonprofit. And he said, let me tell you, if you want to be a nonprofit, be aware you can you can be voted off your own project. He said board members will come on and have their own agenda and you can lose your nonprofit. And we both kind of went, hmm. And Jane had always worked for nonprofits. And so she was well aware of, of takeovers like that. Just people with other vision. And and sometimes it's good and sometimes it's bad. And when it's bad, it's really bad. Yeah. And, and then me coming from the school district, which is... Um, non-taxable, but based coming off of um, community funds. And you have to always be community-based when you do that. I had a different perspective. And so it's like, okay, so we sat back and it's like, what are we going to do? And we just decided to take a break and came back to the table, I think two days later. And Jane said, did you know that we have what they call um, public benefit corporations? It's known as um, a B Corp. And I said, not in Colorado, we don't. She said, we do now. So apparently the year before, the state legislation had voted it in. Pete Lee wrote the legislation. He's actually um, from Colorado Springs. They voted it in to allow B Corps to be part of Colorado. And Patagonia is probably the most popular one that people know. Not They're not based in Colorado, but they are a B Corp. And with a B Corp, you have to state your mis mission statement. 
ours is trash diversion. You have to open your books once a year for people to audit them. Sorry, that's my grandfather clock. I'm turning off my ring light because every once in a while I'm getting a glitch. And um, I don't know if it's because it's so windy outside today. Oh, yeah. So I'm like, I'm just going to unplug this real fast. And, <laughs> and of course, I have to walk right in front of the grandfather clock. <laughs> oh, you poor thing. No, I just, I love... I love what you guys are doing. And so I want other people to, to know about it. And then if they're coming to Colorado Springs, they definitely have to come by and, and give you, give you guys a visit and come see my aunt Lori. So yeah. I'm sorry to interrupt. You were talking about the B Corp. Oh, so, so Jane um, looked into it and said, you know, we have B Corps and they, they voted it in 2014. They rolled it out May of 2015, which was exact timing of us writing our business statement and everything, our business plan. So we applied for it. We were the first to be accepted as a B Corp. We are completely female owned. It is, it's a hybrid of an S corporation, which a lot of people are familiar with, which is normal corporation. But we have to open our books every year and at least once a year and show that we are meeting our mission statement. And we just publish them on our website, you know, and that's our trash diversion. And right now we're at 669,052 pounds. And that was as of two months ago, because it takes about two months to get the numbers up and running. And um, so we just show what we divert and anything that does not go into the free area or the recycling is considered trash. So bathroom trash, kitchen trash, anything a cat has used as a kitty box. <laughs> Unfortunately, we get cases of, of, uh, florals that have to go into the trash, those go into the trash. And um, we're considered zero waste because we are less than 1% um, trash. And um, so that's kind of the, that's kind of the nuts and bolts of how we started. And then we had to find a place and um, we put our feelers out and Michael once again called and said, did you know that Bristol Brewing, which is Ivy Wild School here in town, it's an old school they took over. They have, a, they have a space and they're looking for someone. So um, I had the connections this time and I contacted Joe Coleman and said, we'd like to come in and show you something. And so we came to, to Ivy Wild School. We presented what we wanted to do. He said, you can have the warehouse underneath. That would be great. And we said, perfect. So we are gearing ourselves up to be in a warehouse, you know, cinder blocks and that kind of look, you know, we're going to go warehousey style and keep it that sort of kind of rough look and it was three weeks before the day we were supposed to open which was november 1st 2015 he called and he said good news bad news bad news is you cannot have the warehouse the good news is we're gonna put you on the main floor and <laughs> where everybody's going to see you see no longer it. industrial yeah and it is a beautiful beautiful turn of the century building and i was like Okay, so we shifted gears and we decided, you know, we're going to go with kind of a gift shop look. And we opened, um, we moved in on um, Halloween night at three o'clock. We were able to come into the building at, on Halloween night. We opened the next day and we made our first dollar that day, which we were so excited. We still have it framed. It's still framed here in the store. And it was a 400 square foot pop-up they gave us 60 days and joe made gave us really cheap rent i mean 400 a month cheap rent included all our utilities the first month's uh, first 30 days was 400 the second was 600 he asked he said okay so what are your goals and our mission was we divert one ton 
from the landfill, which is 2000 pounds, basically from the landfill out of this little tiny space. And we thought we could do that. You know, let's, be, let's go for lofty goals for 60 days. And he said, what I like, what I would like from you is that you meet your goals and that you possibly pay me a bonus. And the bonus is actually going to be what the real rent is. And it's like, okay, fair enough. Um, 60 days later, we did four and a half tons out of the landfill. We had it swirled absolutely everywhere. We, um, paid our rent and we paid him the bonus and we looked for a second location and we opened a second location at the end of January. <laughs> so that was, that was the start. And so then we, we ran two shops because, and he was so sweet. He said, you know, I can let you out of your lease. And we said, no, you know, we want to honor our lease. Cause we, at that point we didn't have a place to move. So we signed a lease for a year. And it's like, no, we will honor our lease. And and, and I, we might have to change the hours, but we will, because they're open all the time. There's seven days a week, but we're going to honor our lease and we're going to stay, we're going to stay here. And so what we did was look for, we looked for a second location and we opened an old Colorado city in 1200 square feet. And we basically Frankensteined all of our, we cobbled it all. We, we um, cannibalized all of our customers. It was great because we would be in at Bristol. People walk in and say, what is this? And we'd say, it's a creative reuse center. They loved what we had because we had little bits of everything. And we'd say, if you like this, go to Old Colorado City and see our baker shop. And so then we Ooh. shut that one down and we went to the second one. Cannibalizing was the way to go. And the yeah. second one in 1,200 square feet, we did not have any parking. We relied on public parking. All donations had to come down an entire flight of stairs. And we just made do. And we stayed for two years. And we completely outgrew it. And another space opened up closer to downtown. That was 3,400 square feet with a parking lot, with a back entrance. So it was, it was a weird layout because a lot of it was wasted space, but we made it work. And it was, it was our, in our price range. So then we moved to that location. COVID happened. And with COVID, you were limited on how many um, people you could have in the in your store at a time and our max was 14 including employees and volunteers oh so yeah so we started closing on monday and the volunteers we would all come in on a monday go through the store reset the whole store um clean do whatever we, we need to do and then tuesday we would open and we would open tuesday through saturday and we stayed open and we made it through covid until september well before that, backing up a little bit, we had opened a second location. Jane's daughter wanted to have a store in Fort Collins. And so she opened one in Fort Collins, which was, it was a little bit of a struggle, but they were doing okay. And then COVID hit and they were coming to the end of their lease. And I had a family emergency and Jane said, I will, you watch the store down here. I will go up to Fort Collins. I'll get them closed. I'll get everything sold off. We'll get through our lease, which was August 31st. And we did. We paid him 100%. We never walked away from any of our bills. Everything was paid. We kept the employees employed, paid them. August 31st happened. Fort Collins was closed. Jane announced that she was going to retire at the end of the year, which was totally fair. Because yeah. she, was just, yeah, she was just burned out. And, yeah. and I was down here and I thought, you know, we'll at least live out our lease. We had another, I think, another year to go. We did. We had another year and a half on the downtown shop. And that was all fine. It was September, middle of September. I pulled up on a Monday to let the volunteers in and the parking lot is gone. They have fenced it off and are digging it up. There is now a four-story apartment complex on it. 
So we knew it was going to happen. We just, it was a year sooner than we expected. So I sat in front of the building and somebody asked if I cried and I'm like, oh, heck no, that just fires me up. I called Chris with Hoff and Lee and said, this is what's going on. I need to move. And he said, how much longer do you have on your lease? And I said, I have a year. And he said, when do you want to move? And I said, yesterday. And he goes, okay, I'll see you on Wednesday. I have a space to show you. And so Chris and I met over here where we are now, showed me a spot and, I, and it was um, a complete gut job on this one. They had, they had torn all the walls out and everything so you could have it custom built. And it was 6,000 square feet. So we would double the size again. And I, Whoa. I, and okay. I, so wait a minute. So from start, from the start, you started out at 400 square feet. Yep. And went then to 1200 went to 1200. They went to 3000. Yep. And then this one was be 6,000 square feet. And I looked at it and I said, Chris, I'll be moving in three years. I said, in your none of my siblings will ever speak to me again. Cause they always moved us. And he said, I have a weird space. You keep, keep an open mind. And we walked down the parking lot to where we are now. And that's 810. And it's actually the, the old anchor shop. It was originally built as an Albertson's grocery store. And then it became a couple of different gyms. And the last one was a rehab center. So it had lots of big gym floors and floated wood floors for Pilates and bar and um, that kind of thing. And then the, all these little offices because they were rehab offices, you know, you had massage therapists or hand therapists or, you know, whatever it was. And we walked in and in the entryway is this half round reception area. And it looks like a ticket booth. And on the right-hand side, you could see the hardwood floors of one of the, one of the classrooms. And I'm like, it's like a skating rink in here. <laughs> oh my gosh. How fun. It was totally fun. So we walked around and there are 15 offices Actually, 16. One is, it, we call it the fishbowl room because it's all glassed in. But there are 15 closed door offices. And we walked around and it's 12,406 square feet. So it is huge compared to what we came from. And I said, I can make this work. And he said, well, they're, they're willing to work with anybody. And as long as they don't have to do anything, you take it as is. And, it's, and we always take everything as is. And so I... Um, went back to Jane and said, here's the deal. We lost the parking lot, which she knew. And I said, I need to sign a lease. If you don't want to be financially tied because your name is still tied to who gives a scrap. I said, you need to retire sooner because I have to do something. And so she was going to carry it. She was so sweet. She said, you know, I was planning on being here till December. I said, you can come back as a volunteer. I said, but if you don't want to be your name tied to this, you need to, you need to step down now. And so she did. And she sold her part of the corporation to me, which was $50 because oh. it was just, there was no money in it. We were so far in debt. We were huge debt. And then more debt came in that, that we didn't realize some back taxes. Um, we had a few issues with, with one of our locations that, that she, she probably, if she listens to this, she'll know now, but, um, but she, she was able to walk away from all the debt and I assumed it all. And we signed a lease and that was, um, very first of October. And the day after Thanksgiving, we opened the store and we have been running it ever since. And the goal was if I could just rent five of those offices out as art studios, that would be amazing. 
And the three-year goal was to have maybe 10 and tear down some walls because we couldn't use all these offices. We're not even two years in. We have 15 artist studios. All 15 are rented. We have we underwrite the, the rent, so it's $150. It gives you 24-7 access. It pays for all your utilities, all of your custodial, which is me, um, and your Wi-Fi. We take in well over 1,000 pounds um, six days a week. The seventh day, which is Sunday, we don't, we don't accept any donations. It's strictly a work day, and the store is open. We employ three full-time gals. Anything over 32 hours, we consider full-time, and um, they're all... Um, paid living wages. And um, we have a couple of part-timers. We have two part, three, no, three part-timers. Um, two of them are high schoolers. And then there's um, myself included. There are 19 of us that are all volunteers and I'm still a volunteer that keep the store going. And the object is for me to step away at the end of June and the store is able to continue on. And so we're, it's just, it's just been amazing. I mean, Faith, it's just been, I don't know. I, I just spoke at a church the other day because they wanted to, they, they gave us their tithing for the week. It's like, what? And they said, oh yeah, once a month, we, we've come up with an organization that we want to support that we believe in. Oh, I know. And that's and so the, sweet. It's, it is so sweet. And a lot of them are zoomed and they're, it was High Plains Unitarian Church, and they're just, they're so lovely. And our friend used to be the pastor for them. And um, he's now in Scotland, him and his family. He's, he's working at, um, he does pastoral services for hospitals, and he's in Scotland right now. But just the kindness has been overwhelming. And we have a couple of nonprofits that have um, used their artist studio for their artists, but they also use it as their um since they're not, they're a 501c3, they have to have a physical address. And one works with um, women that come out of abuse and it's finding our, finding our own voices. The other works with um, our, our adult artists with cognitive and developmental disabilities. And it's called MK Legacy. And they have a studio and they come in and they, they create and they make and they... Um, they also help us with our cards because we take in so we have a plethora of greeting cards and they sort through all the cards that we can't sell, which is cases and cases of them. They take what they want. They repurpose them and sell them to make spending money for the holidays. And then, yeah. And then they also sell it to support um, some things that they like to do, you know, some organizations that they like to support. And then they pass what they don't use on to the next, you know, they have other organizations. Um, it's just amazing. We have, we're drop point for many, many other nonprofits. Westside Cares is one of them. So every fabric bag that comes in with a donation in it, we, every once in a while, one comes in that's really, really nice, we'll sell it, but that's very rare. Most, um, I would say we give them probably 300 uh, fabric bags every month and they use them for their food pantry. And they take all oh, the- Oh, that's take, nice. Yeah, they take all the empty bottles, pill bottles, belts, shoelaces, personal care items, any small appliances go to One Nation Walking Together, which supports um, uh, Native American reservations in a tri-state area. They fill a semi once a month and take it to a different reservation with food, with not just food, but medicines and fans and heaters and ref mini refrigerators and things like that. 
and we take in things that like we don't take in bedding, but they will take the bedding. They are not governed by the same health laws that 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 stores are in in the state of Colorado. They have their own um, guidelines because they're reservations. So they take all kinds of things. Um, there's a group in Westcliff, Colorado, and it's it's the Westcliff Sewing Guild. And there's the last I heard there were 22 seamstresses. They may there may be more now, but they take between oh between four and six hundred pounds of fabric. It used to be closer to eight hundred every couple of weeks. We they come down and somebody does the Costco run is what I always say. That's why they're in town. <laughs> they're coming to go get their fabric at Costco, which is really you. <laughs> no, they're coming down to get their food and then they pick up fabric from us. Oh, they, okay. Well, that makes sense. Yeah. How fun. Yeah, and so they make dresses for girls in third world countries that tend to be a very conservative. A lot of them, these girls, they may not be in Muslim countries, but they have to cross through the Muslim neighborhoods to get to school. If their shoulders are not covered, if they're not properly dressed, they cannot attend school. And so they make sure that, you know, because a headdress you can come up with, but a lot of people do those um uh, what are they called? Pillowcase dresses where they're just more like a strap around your neck. You might as well be naked because you can't do anything. You can't leave the neighborhood. So they make sure that they are properly covered so that they can attend school. And so we support them and give them fabric and bias. Oh, we get so much open bias tapes. We said we give them just tons of that cone thread, you name it, we give it to them. Um, so there's a lot of, of things. And people always ask, you know, what do you, what do you do with your donations? Well, we, we, bring it in the door, we weigh it, and then we cull through it. We pull the things that we know we can sell. And then the things that go to different organizations, we divide it up. And then we always have stuff that's like, you know, it's 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 too much work to take it to maybe Goodwill or ARC or something like that. But somebody would want it. We just don't want it on the sales floor because it won't move. We put it out for free. We give it back to the community. And we make sure everybody knows that, that if we take something, it's like, you know, will you accept this? And it's like, no, we really won't, but we'll put it out for free if that's okay with you. And some people don't want that and that's okay. But we take in frames like, like someone opened a fire hydrant some days. And I think people are taking things out of frames off their walls and scanning. And so we end up with lots of empty frames. And so we keep some, we might have 40 on the sales floor because they just really don't move very much, but we put the rest out for free and people just love them. And, and that's great. So then stuff is still not ending up in a landfill because it's basically being repurposed, reused or recycled. Yeah. Yeah. And, and we have, you know, lots of, we, we, um, we partner with Pikes Peak Library District and once a month we do what's called a swap. And so we um, go in and we actually have an artisan resident that works for us and we pay her and she goes to these library swaps and with a bunch of volunteers. And at the swap, there's always a craft that can be done by a child or adult. And then um, when you come, you come with all the stuff you wanna get rid of. We weigh it in because we're diverting trash. That's what it comes down to is diverting trash. And we wanna know how much is coming through the swap. So we weigh it coming in, you get tickets, one ticket for every pound. And at the swap and any of the other swaps, you can use that like money and buy pound for pound anybody else's stuff. So people come in early, they weigh their stuff in and then they sit and they have an empty box next to them and they're working on a project. They watch things that come in. It's like beads. I want those. And they put them in their box and they load it up. And when they go to leave, they weigh it going out, they pay in tickets and they head out. And it's really fun because you always have somebody that walks in and they go, I don't have any tickets. Somebody always goes, I have tickets. You can have some of mine. They have like ba- Ziploc bags full of tickets. Aww. 
And so we always make sure that the goal is to bring nothing back to the store, absolutely nothing back to the store. And um, most of the swaps are doing around six, 700 pounds of stuff. And what comes back to the store might be 50 pounds. And it's usually, it literally is trash. We don't want to leave, you know, and it, it might be actual like, you know, physical trash that they, that they had in the trash can. We don't want to leave them with trash. So we bring right. it back and if we throw it away, it goes against us, but that's okay. And so we do that. And um, that provides a job for our artists and residents. She also does two free kids classes here at the store. Um, yeah. And, and the studio that I thought was a roller skating rink, I do actually roller skate in it because I knew it. Amazing. I and so knew we, it. We call it our barefoot studio. And the joke is if, if I can't walk it, it's like if Lori can't walk in there barefoot while you're doing something, it's not appropriate for that room. And it's a beautiful floated wood floor with ballet bars all the way around the <gasps> entire room and a, and a wall of glass. And we have senior yoga that we supplement. Um, we have that twice a week. We, we um, sublet out for lack of a better word, but we have a renter. It's um, some Pilates. They, they come in and they teach some classes here. We have um, belly dancing. We have Middle Eastern dancing. We have a photographer that uses it because he can block out all the light. He does um, lifestyle portraits in there. We just have all kinds of things that go on in that. And then we have a separate classroom that we, we call it the octopus room. And octopus, <laughs> octopus is kind of our theme. We have this big mural that our artist um, Sally painted for us with a, that's an octopus. And then there's an octopus garden where octopus, octopi, I guess it is. They collect things. They have like their own junkyard. And so the kids came in for spring break camp and they decorated the junkyard and there's like doll heads and, you know, all kinds of silly things, bottle caps and stuff. And so they, um, so octopus has just kind of become our theme. And in the octopus classroom, that's where all the messy stuff happens. So we have a stained glass lady. She, she works in there. Um, we have kids classes in there. We have another one that does painting and she's in there. And um, we also have what's called whips and sips and it's works in progress. And they come every Thursday night from four to seven and they get the room for free. And you just bring in your unfinished project and you just work in there. We have a, a portrait painter works on things. She just works on her technique. We have um, knitters that come in. Um, we have someone that does junk journal. She comes in and works on her junk journal, but they do it for three hours and there's no charge for that. Um, we have a Girl Scout troop that comes in and no charge. And anyone that's a community-based thing that does not charge a fee, we tend to do for free. And um, yeah, yeah. Y'all so, are busy. We are busy. It is busy 24 seven in this building. It's, it's really, really fun. And, um, yeah, and we're open seven days a week, which. Wow. But you've always been busy. Like you are number five out of six kids, right? I am number five. I'm the, I, I'm the favorite in my mind. <laughs> you are the favorite. You're my favorite. I know, you're my favorite. Yeah. I'm number four. I'm the fourth girl out of the four girls. So I'm the youngest girl and I have a younger brother. Right. But, yeah. But we are all, I, our sweet dear friend Susan Hemphill said, "You need to remember that not everyone works like a Brett girl." You That's true because all the girls in the family, well, yes. not my mom, but everybody <laughs> that our hustler. <laughs> I want I, my mama. Mama's and from my mama is a different breed. She was the oldest. She ran away from y'all, but all of, I would say, 
Kathy, Cindy, Lori, and John, all four of y'all, because Charlie doesn't come down too much, but all of y'all just work. Like, yeah. not, I mean, I've, I'm, in, I'm inspired and I feel lazy when I'm around y'all that I need to keep up with the paces. And then I take, but I guess I have that energy too, because my husband and my friends and stuff will say to me, don't you ever stop? Don't you ever? And I say, yeah, I've sit down plenty. Trust me. I plan my relaxation time. I absolutely plan my relaxation time, but I do enjoy being busy and having something to focus on and something that gives me value and confidence and all the things. Yeah. You're, you're definitely cut from the same cloth because you are just the same. And your mom is too, but your mom gets, your, your mom gets super distracted and she's, she's really more of a thinker person. And she kind of over, we always tease her because she's always overthinking things. It's like, stop it. Stop she's it. She's a perfectionist. Yeah, you and, and I just, just do it. You and I see something, we just do it. We're, yeah. I think there's, I think there's beauty and imperfection and yeah. mom is very methodical and analytical. And I think we're analytical too, but in a different way. And so it just takes her because she's, you know, such a perfectionist. It just takes her so much time. Yeah. Yeah. And she, yeah. And she definitely, she definitely is afraid of making a mistake and, with with you and I, it's like I don't care. I remember, I remember painting the entryway, and Ty said, "What if I don't like it?" Because I was going to paint it red, and it was just one wall. It was kind of like an orangey red. It was going to be a statement thing when you walk in the door. And he, and I said, "It's just paint. You paint over it." And he's and to this day, he still says, "It's been 14 years." He said, "I never. I I think of that all the time. It's it's just paint. Everything is that way. You can just you know, unless other than chopping off your fingers, you can't take that one back." Well, I guess you can ask your sister, Joy. But, um... <laughs> yeah, we'll ask her. We'll have her on and I'll talk about her pinky that got cut off. But yes, it's true. I mean, yeah, everything can, everything. I mean, if you're dead, you're dead. But yeah, everything yeah. can be edited and fixed. I mean, yeah. you really, you really get, you're involved in all avenues of it. You've been going nonstop now for seven years mm -hmm. and you've had, multiple moves, but I don't think that you would have had the thick skin and the tenacity and just the wherewithal to do it. Have you not grown up in the family you've grown up in and gone through all the things that you've gone through? Cause you've gone yeah. through a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and I, you know, and you know, and when you sit back and you look at it, you kind of go, that's, I, that's a lot. So, so for people who don't know, I'm a widow and my husband who, um, Scott, we grew up next door to each other. So I married the boy next door and, yeah. and he thought I was stinky and smelly and he was stinky and smelly. And we went to the same elementary school and, um, couldn't stand each other. He was, I was nine, he was 10. And then, and then, yeah, and then fast forward, we end up, you know, getting married and, um, I was married to him almost 24 years and it was a week before Christmas. And he said, I just don't feel right. And he sat down and he died. And, and as my daughter, who's now a paramedic looked at the coroner's report and she said, mom, people die all the time. We just don't know it. She said, that's why it's always a shock because of the age. But she said, people do this all the time. It happens every day, every day. She said, once a week, I get somebody who's young like this for no reason. He was in good health, which really scared the crud out of everybody else that were his friends because he was the thin one and he was in good health. Yeah. And, and so um, two of the kids were in college and our youngest, Chris, was 16. 
And, you know, and it was, it was just a shock to everybody. And um, he had broken his leg, but, you know, he broke his leg. He breaks, you know, he rode motorcycles, he broke stuff all the time, but, you know, it, it just was, it was just too much on his little body apparently. So he passed away. And then, um, then I went a little bit crazy. At least I think I did in my mind. And yeah, you did the normal stuff that, yeah. you know, grieving process is just a process. Yeah. Yeah. And I went to the gym obsessively because it kept me busy and I knew it was good for me and, yeah. and rode my bike. And then, yeah. Yeah. And, and, the, then, and the, and the hot, and the, what is those little the cars that were low, you would go on the bikes, you would go to the pub crawls. And then I yes. remember one time you texted me a picture of you on like a hot wheel. What it was it? It's like the things we wrote in the eighties, those plastic. It, it was a hot wheels. It, they call them green machines. They're so fun. Oh my gosh. You were so cute. Ugh. Oh my God. They were so, they were so much fun. We would go on the top of parking lots and it was just people who just silly, silly people that loved bikes and and they were really protective of me, which was really, really sweet. I mean, in, in hindsight, they were, most of them were just guys and they were all like the age of my kids and they were super protective of me. And, and we would start at nine o'clock at night and I was always at home by 11, but we just pedal around and um, it was, it was a really fun time and it wasn't for a real long time that I did it, but um but it was a, it was a real good healing time. Cause I could just, I kind of figured out who Lori was. Cause I'd always been married. Right. And, Cause you got married you know, young. I got married young. I was 20. I just, you know, so all of us in the family got married young. We we're all crazy. But, <laughs> I think you're just in love. Yeah. Yeah. So her lust, who knows? But um, yeah, so I did that and I was working for the school district. Thank goodness. Cause I had the, the health insurance. And so I stayed working as a school secretary and I started dating and then, um, and I started dating rather soon. I mean, people thought it was too soon. It was like six months after Scott died, I started dating. And a lot of people, well, no, it was longer than that. Cause it was, it was Steve. I, was say, I don't think it was, I don't think it was that short. I think it was longer than that. Yeah. I think we kind of made, I think we kind of made you date too. Cause we're like, you, you need a distraction. Well, and I, I started seeing, seeing Steve, I think. It was, I met him in August and I think it was October we started dating. So almost a year after Uncle Scott passed away. And and Steve was, I, Uncle John says, no harm, no foul. He was a nice guy, but that was it. And afterwards, I, after Steve and I broke up, um, Sarah, my daughter Sarah said, you know, you're not very good at this whole dating thing because all you want to do is take care of people. You need to go on like Match.com so you can screen people. And that's what I did because it was the era of Match.com. Mm. And the very first, first picture I saw was Ty. The first, the first picture. And I remember looking at him going, that is a great face. And I looked through his little profile as much as I, I could because I wasn't signed up. I was uh, what I call window shopping. Um, and he was in a pair of cargo shorts with a striped button down shirt. And I thought, oh, I'm a goner. Cause that's exactly how uncle Scott dressed. And I just love just sort of that casual preppy kind of thing. And, um, then I signed up and I communicated with, I communicated with a couple of different guys and I was supposed to meet one and I, something happened with work and I couldn't go. I was working in the budgets department at that point and I couldn't meet him. And he got, he sent me a very hostile email back and it was like, nope, nope, not doing that. And, um, Ty was the one and only person that I ever connect, that I ever met 
on match. And um, I sent him a wink. You know, like, I noticed you. That's all it was. <laughs> yeah. And he, and he was advised by a very dear friend that if someone does that, just ignore him because they're not being serious. And he said that I sent it to him and he said, I immediately emailed you back. He goes, I immediately responded. He goes, I didn't care what she said. She was wrong. And, so, <laughs> and he's like, she's cute. I'm, in, I'm replying. And it was very serendipitous because the picture that I put for so my profile picture was myself and all my siblings at grand, at grandma's um, 70th birthday party. She wanted to go to Fargo's because, you know, she had dementia. So, she, you know, that's what you do when you're 70 and a little on the cray cray side. And so she wanted to go to Fargo's. So there's a picture of all of us. And I said, if, you, if you're not one for big families and crowds, I am not for you. And I had also dyed my hair dark brown, which she was so mad at me about. And I said, and if you like blondes, you know, which all the pictures are blonde. I said, just to let you know, I just dyed my hair dark brown. But, um, but you know, this is, you know, I'm, I'm very family. And I would only look at people that had been in a marriage. So someone, and they had to have had kids. And so somebody who was in a committed relationship with children, mm, nope. Nope, not doing that. They had they could be divorced, widowed, but they couldn't be currently married. But they had to have been at least had that that next level. For, and for whatever reason, that was kind of my thing. And um, well, probably you just knew you needed somebody that would commit. So if they if they'd already been married or they've yeah. been widowed, you knew okay they were they were fine with committing to a relationship. Yeah, and maybe that's what they were going for again, was to be in another relationship, not yeah. just out there willy-nilly being dirty yeah. <laughs> and crazy yeah. and Why stuff. I, mean, I, didn't, I didn't mind the dirty part, but no, I just, you know, <laughs> I was ready. I loved being married. I really did. And I could not, because of widow's benefits, the way a lot of people don't know this, that I was a stay-at-home mom, so I didn't have any social security built up at all. And in order to get Uncle Scott's social security, I had to stay single until I was 60 and one day. And I remember going when he passed away that you make an appointment with social security, they actually take you into a back room and they were so kind, mm. so, so kind. And she handed me the one-time check to help bury him, which was $280. She came and cremate somebody for that. And she handed me the check and she said, I am so sorry. This is not enough. I know it's not enough. And I'm so sorry, but that's, this is, you know, and I was like, okay. And, and then she looked at, at the benefits and she said, let me tell you, she said, your husband put away a lot of money through social security, a lot. And I knew that he had done a lot of deductions to pull more money out. I had no idea. And she said, do not get married until you are 60 in one day. Do not be common law. Do I mean, she lectured me and to the point where I just kind of went, okay, yes, ma'am. Okay. And at the time it was, um, well, it was almost $2,000 a month and it's way over that now because of the increase in, um, benefits but it's enough money that you know i'm comfortable till the day i die really and um and she she just really lectured me about do not get married and so i didn't and ty and i started um, communicating via email back and forth and the first time we met was um it was the it was the weekend it was a friday after obama was elected in office because i sent him an email and said oh things must be hopping downtown he owned his his store at the time. And I said, must be really crazy downtown. You know, everybody talking politics and stuff. And, and, and he said, you know, why don't you come by and we'll meet. And I still have the original emails. And I said, you know, I think I will. And so 
my thing that I would do is I would go on Wednesday nights and sit at this place called Rico's, which is a wine bar right next door to his store, unbeknownst to me originally. And I would go on a Wednesday night, I would get the independent newspaper, read what was going on, because I was always looking for what's going on downtown, have a glass of wine, visit with the kids that were behind the counter. We kind of chit chat a little bit and I would go home. And that was my Wednesday night thing. I didn't know it, but 30 minutes after I would leave, he would leave his store, but he would come to the back door because um, he was friends with the owner. And we would miss each other. We did it for two years and never, never crossed paths ever. Oh my gosh. Ever. So weird. Isn't that crazy? So I, I've told grandma, I was going to meet him. And she said, what if he's a psycho killer? And I was like, well, grandma uh, said that. Yeah. What if he's a psycho killer? And I said, well, I'll just, I'll be in public space. And he doesn't have my address. And he's like, okay. You know, and I think she was maybe joking more than anything else, but it became like a running joke. And so the first time I met him, it was on a Friday night and I went to a store and I walked in the store and he came around the counter in his striped button down preppy shirt from the gap and, and his shorts. And I just said, do you sell a game called psycho killer? And we both started laughing. And so we, um, we went over and, and I went over and had my glass of wine and then he joined me and he was going to a CC hockey game. And I, and I looked at my watch and I said, you're going to miss warmups. Cause you, you know, we were CC hockey people in our family. You do not miss warmups and you definitely don't miss dropping of the puck for the first quarter. And he goes, no, no, it's okay. It's okay. I'm meeting some friends. I'll be fine. And then I said, you're missing the drop of the puck. Nope. We're fine. We're fine. Unbeknownst to me, he actually had a date <gasps> and she, he left her hanging for like half the game by herself. And I had said in my head, if he asks you to do something this weekend, you're busy. Do not be eager. Don't be too eager. You're busy. Don't be too eager. You're busy. And he said, hey, I've got all this. stuff. I've got to go. But I've got and my daughter's um, my son's birthday is tomorrow. Alex's birthday was the next day. And he said, um, could we maybe do breakfast on Sunday? And I said, sure. <laughs> <laughs> Just no! like you said you would. <laughs> no, I wasn't supposed to do that. And so we had um, breakfast on Sunday. And we've been inseparable ever since. he's so cute i love uncle ty i know i know and everybody just loves him so much and it's it's interesting because some of the cousins he's been in their lives longer than uncle scott which is kind of sad that's so weird to think to to think of it that way that that he's he's had you know like jack is he from he's he from colorado no he is actually from detroit michigan okay now you're where were you born aunt Lori? I was born in Manhattan Beach, California. And did you grow up in California? And like, no. how did you end up in Colorado? So, um, Granddaddy was an engin- a design engineer for TRW, and we were like military. You know, the they would finish a contract and he would be laid off, and we would he would get hired somewhere else, and we would move. And he tend to move with the same companies, the same you know, bounce back and forth depending on the contracts. And I was born in California. I think I was two and a half when we moved to Iowa. And that's where Uncle John was born, was in Iowa. And then when I was almost five, we moved again down to Texas. That's how we ended up in Richardson, Texas. And that's where your mom met your dad. And we were in Richardson, Texas for four years, I think it was. And when I was nine, we moved up to Colorado. And in Colorado, we stayed for for five years. That was the longest we really ever stayed. Uh, For me, we stayed anywhere. And um, we were in Colorado. And then, of course, he got laid off again. 
and moved out to California, but back to Manhattan Beach. And so we all went back to Manhattan Beach. So I went to um, half of my eighth grade year and then all of my um, high school was in, in California. And I stayed one year after high school and then I married Uncle Scott. Where, so Uncle Scott, you met him in California? In Colorado, we were next door neighbors. Uh, okay, so you met him, I'm confused. Y'all were in Colorado and then you went back to Manhattan yeah. Beach. Yeah, so when we went back to Manhattan Beach, Uncle Scott was racing for Yamaha um, Motorsports and he did the what they called the Pro Camel Series, which they still have it. And so he would, you know, race all around the country. And at that time, when we moved back to Manhattan Beach, I think he was 16 because I was 15 when we moved and or right before my 15th birthday. And so we moved back, we moved back to California and he would come through two, three times a year because we lived at the beach. He would come and stay with us and everybody was friends. Oh, so we, okay. So this y'all were, y'all were friends. Y'all weren't dating yeah. or anything at that no. point. No, no. In fact, um, he so he's just like a family friend because he was a neighbor. Yeah. 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 He was just a family friend. He was just a neighbor. And I remember him coming back. He was in college. He was a college freshman. And I think he had Matt with him that visit. And we were all sitting around the, he was, he was walking up the stairs with their suitcases because they had just arrived and they would stay with us. And I was coming down the stairs and I gave him a hard time because it was Scott, you know, it's like, it's Scott. Well, cause it's you. That's what you do. You just, yeah. you just give people hard times. It's adorable. Yeah. Well, we just, you know, it's, it's the same banter we've always had as, as you know, all these kids growing up because we all ran the neighborhood together. And we play hide and go seek in the dark and stuff like that. So he was coming up the stairs. I'm going down. And so I gave him a hard time and I went wherever I went. And then I came back and we were all sitting at the kitchen table. And in the middle of the conversation, how I remember it was that he stopped and he said, well, wait a minute. So you're Cindy and you're Charlie and you're John and you're, I think Kathy was there visiting with Terry and you're Kathy. And he looks at me and he goes, who the hell are you? And I said, I'm Lori. And he didn't recognize me. Oh. <gasps> Like you blossomed. Yeah. Yeah. And, and he, he said, was like, he was trying to figure out who's this girl. That's giving, a, that's giving me a hard time. Yeah. And catching my eye. Yeah. And so that was, that was that. And um, yeah. And then, and then we just kind of had crushes on each other. And then one year he came out and he left on Thursday on Friday, I got a dozen roses and I thought I couldn't breathe. I literally thought I could not breathe. And we talked on the phone all weekend long when you stopped to have long distance phone charges. I guess the phone bill was like hundreds of dollars. Oh, and he, he sent me a plane ticket on Monday and I flew out to Gunnison and I never went back. I married him five months later. <laughs> and I was there at your wedding picking my yes. nose. Thing. Yes, you were. Yes, you were. You were in my wedding. I was. I stood up in front of everybody and just. You were went. so adorable. I was only five or six at the time. Yeah. And I did your hair. I French braided your hair. And yeah. and your dad, thank goodness your dad took pictures because all the pictures, Scott's Uncle Scott's um, brother, Tim, as a gift, did our wedding pictures because he had taken a photography class. He was so nervous he forgot to focus the camera. And there's no autofocus. And we have, no one has aged. That's the good thing with all the pictures. But the only pictures I really have are anything that your dad had taken. Oh, and, Aunt Lori, I didn't know that. That's so sweet. Yeah. yeah. And so I have, I think, four pictures from my wedding. Oh, <laughs> oh. yeah. 
Oh, well, my goodness. So you've, and, and that's not the, all the story. Like you have, you, you've gone through the ringer with the boys, you know, yeah, yeah, medical my, stuff. And yeah. So my, my youngest, Chris, um, who was a professional cyclist, um, he called and said, I don't feel right. And I thought, uh, oh, here we go. Oh, those are trigger words. No, yeah. no. Yeah. And, and your cousin, Sarah was a paramedic, a new paramedic at the time. I called her and I said, Hey, I'm on my way to go pick up your brother. Can you call? Because something's not right. And he's crying. She's like, mommy always cries, which is true. And, <laughs> and he was um, 23 at the time. And so she called him and I was at the stoplight and she said, um, how far out are you? I said, I'm, I'm 10 minutes out. She goes, no, seriously, how far out are you? I said, I'm seriously 10 minutes out. I'm on Constitution Academy. I'm, t- I'm 10 minutes. And she said, if you are longer than 10 minutes, you call 911 right now because I think he's having a stroke. And so I picked him up and got him to the hospital. Um, they admitted him immediately because they, they did think he was having a stroke or a heart attack. And it turned out to be MS. And it's really uncommon at the time they thought it was very uncommon for men to have MS. We have a very high rate of it here in Colorado Springs because, and they think it might be altitude related, who knows, but um, he was diagnosed with MS and he lost the ability to use his entire left side. And so he ended up, he was in the hospital for a week and the doctor came in and said, "Um, you cannot live on your own. Where are you going to live? And Ty was the one that spoke up and he said, he's coming home with us. And we brought him home and I had to shower him and toilet him for weeks and slowly it came back and by, and that was in January. And by May, he was back on his bicycle. Not well, not well, but he was back on his bike. And I mean, like riding the trails back on his bicycle. And, and to this day, you would never know unless you know him. He has a little, I would say he has a little hiccup in his giddy up. His left foot does a little something, but um, I only noticed that because I hyper look. But um, it's an indicator for you to know how he's doing, like yeah. progress. Yeah. Yeah. And so he's he's fully recovered. He's vice president of a big company and he does he's done really well for himself. And then um, right at the beginning of COVID, my oldest, I got the call. I was picking up a donation from a, a crematorium for animals of all places. My goodness. And I got the call that that they found Jeffrey on the porch and he had died. And that's my oldest. And they got him revived. They that he died? He did die. He, <gasps> yeah, he had complete, they, he completely died. And they had, oh, they I threw him know. on the ground. Yeah, they started pounding on his heart and they got him started and they worked on him. And he was, he was in a coma for two weeks. And he has, um, he has some, I don't know if he has, we, we don't know where he's at. He's fully functional. He lives by himself. He is unemployed right now trying to find work. He's an IT guy. And, um, it's been two years going through too. I mean, that's heavy to have yeah. three in your life give scare the bejesus out of you. Yeah. Yeah. They yeah. tell that he can never leave you. He can never call you and say, I don't feel right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and Jeffrey, you know, Jeffrey could call me. Jeffrey doesn't call. So I just call him every day. His mommy calls him every day. Hey, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And usually if he's, if he's not in a great mood, cause you can tell he's annoyed with me. I'm like, don't you like when your mom calls you every day? He goes, sure. Yes. <laughs> but I do. I, I call him every day to see what his tone sounds like. Cause he's still, you know, his brain is still healing and, 
um, this might be what he is. I don't know, but he's, you know, he, he goes to family functions. He has a great time. He had a good time. You saw him at the wedding. He had a really good time at the wedding. Oh no, you didn't make it to Maddie's. He had a good time at Maddie's wedding was joking around and, um, yeah, yeah. He's a lower key version of himself. So, um, but he can ride his bike and, um, you know, he's just, he's just a different person. And I think that's probably the hardest thing for everybody. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, but he, you know, he's, he's fine. He's, he's not living in my basement. So that's a good, th- that's a good sign. <laughs> so, so in June, you're ready to kind of like take a chill pill and spend some time with your family and, um, y'all have grandbabies now you and Ty have grandbabies and, and now you can spend a little bit more time with the family and not run around so much. And you know, it's not, it's not just that. It's also the fact that if this is really going to work and, and Jane and I used to talk about this, it needs to function without us. If this is going to work, it can't rely on one person because if it relies on one person that it never worked in the beginning and we have a really, really great team and we, we have some really good processes that we're setting up and are being implemented. And the volunteers are amazing, like amazing. And one of the volunteers, she's an artist here and she's looked at what we've done and she actually worked in the corporate world and she, part of her job was aging out merchandise, but in a different way, not in a retail setting, but, still aging out merchandise and she has really helped us tweak she's helped us to to not only create but also tweak what what works and it's working and she's done the thing of you know i i I say things like oh we need to just she's like nope nope it's working just let the process work it's working and and it is working and um i had to infuse i sold my rental house and had to infuse the business with a lot of cash because there was no more covid money left and the only thing that we ever took was the um, the PPP loans, the one that gave for for payroll. We did that. It helped. It kept. Um, it paid everyone in Fort Collins to get them through, and then the other half, the the second one that came out, we used it for here, because we had moved and it was just we were really on the struggle. And then we were just, you know, once you get in the hole, you're in the hole. And so I sold my rental house and invested the money in the business because I know it'll work and with the, this will be our fourth month that we are in the black and like, and seriously in the black, um, as, as, and we put money aside and we're buying fixtures and, um, it's been really, really good, really good. And, you know, it's, and it's profitable. And that's the key is, is for this to be profitable because then we can do more community outreach. And that's the, that's the, the goal. The, the mission is trash diversion. My personal goal is living wages. My next one is benefits to have medical and 401k. And we're too small to have true um, medical, but we can give you um, money to put towards your medical. And yeah. so that's, that's our next lofty goal to do before I step away in June. And once that's accomplished, then, then I feel really good about it. I feel really good. And well, I love it. I hope everybody comes out to Colorado Springs yeah. and visits. Who gives a scrap? Where is the shop located? We're at 810 Arcturus Drive. And do and, y'all have a website or an Instagram? And we, we do. We have a website and Instagram. We are, um, our Facebook page is who, and Instagram is who gives a scrap COS. And that stands for Colorado Springs. Right. But and then our, our COS web- because y'all had other locations at one time. Correct. 
Correct. And then um, our store website is who gives a scrap Colorado. Are there, is there, if people are interested in this, do, are they able to contact you about franchising or anything? Is that. We just, we just try to help other places open one. I think every community should have a creative reuse center, whether it be a closet, a classroom that's empty, something, you know, that's something only for teachers or it's only for artists. We're helping Pueblo. They have a creative reuse center that bless their hearts. They open it and the next week COVID shut them down and it's just never gotten started. And so we're helping them to get things going. Um, And I would like to do one in, in um, Las Vegas, Nevada. That's my next, you know, if I were going to do something super lofty, help them to get one started because Meow Wolf is there. And there's a huge artist community that's in the old downtown area. So, you know, I like to help people get one started and be able to go in and, and work for six months, then step away and just go play. And that's kind of my, you know, if I had a, if I had a dream, that would be my dream would be to do that. But um, we just want, we just wanted to have a little more free time. We want to be able to come, we want to come to Texas. You know, yes. we to, yeah, come we want to go to California and go see family. We want to go back East and go see family. And so, um, you know, just, just to not be on that grind and the, the, the advice, I have an advisory board here and we meet every other week. And they're working really hard to help me stay super focused. Yesterday was a, was a sit down and it was a, it was a rough one of this is, this is your to-do list and this is your do not do list. And they took a lot of things off my plate and I, yeah. yeah, And it's really important because I can do it because I'm fast, but that does not mean that someone else is learning. I need to allow other people Mary calls it the light socket. If they're not, if they, if they have a fork and they put it in the light socket, stop them. But if they're not doing that, it's okay. We can fix it. And it's like, all right. So I have to remember that fork and a light socket. Fork and a light socket. Well, you spark my world, Lori. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, well, you spark my world, Faith. (laughs) Thank you for coming on and talking to us today about who gives a scrap in Colorado. Yeah. And if anyone comes, we have an entire room that is designated just fabric and it is rolled yardage. It is beautiful. And we pride ourselves on an extremely clean, organized place. So definitely come on the website and look at the pictures or go on Facebook and look at the pictures. You will be amazed. It is beautiful. Well, thank you so much. I hope everybody comes out there and um, sees you. And if they do, make sure to tag Blue Bonnet Home and Who Gives a Scrap, COS. Okay. Well, I love you, sweetie. I miss you. I love you too. Bye, Aunt Lori. Bye, sweetie.